Let's stand this, this morning and we're going to pray. Father, I thank you. We are closing the chapter on 2023. And you know, for a lot of us, uh, there were amazing victories. Uh, there were blessings, but also challenges. But the good news is we're on the other side of it. And uh, we got through it. And we're hopefully stronger for those experiences. And now as we move towards 2024, my prayer for us as a people that we will get closer to you, that we will get stronger in you, that we will experience you in ways we never have before, that we will spiritually grow uh, in dynamic ways, Father. And we are going to see great things happen, not only in our life, but in our families and in our community, Father. We believe people are going to come into your kingdom. We're going to be a part of that. And we thank you for that, Lord. And now I pray, even as we open our hearts to your word this morning, may we receive your word, that engrafted word, which Peter reminds us is able to save our souls. And I pray that that word today will impact us at a very deep level. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. 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 I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at a few verses there. Imagine living in a society, and I don't think it takes a lot to imagine this, but imagine living in a society where everyone has a distorted concept of God. And that concept is literally what's shaping their lives. It's a place where ritual did not bring freedom, rather it brought bondage. A place where fear rather than love was the motive to serve that false understanding. And yet, that was the kind of place that Abraham lived 4,000 years ago. At the center of the life of the people was a temple complex where people worshiped the heavenly constellations. They worshiped the sun, the moon, the stars. In other words, they worshiped that which was the created, not the creator. I wonder what caused Abraham to finally connect to God. I wonder if questions began to fill his mind that he was seeing that didn't quench the longing in his soul and satisfy the questions in his mind. We do know one thing from the record of scripture that there came a day when God revealed himself to Abraham and his life was radically changed. It says in Acts chapter seven, this is Stephen presenting a message before the religious leaders. He's reminding them of this incident, the father of their faith. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. God said this, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. Now how many know that in that encounter there was a command? How many see it? And really if Abraham was going to believe God and act on what God said. That's true, the true measure of faith, right? Doing what God says. It's not about, oh, I heard God speak to me. I experienced God, but God said something I want you to do. Go to this country. And Abraham, by faith, went. That encounter with God and his obedience changed the whole course of his life. How many say that's true? His faith was evidenced by his behavior. Look what it says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How many know we can talk about heaven, but we don't know what it's like? You know, one person asked me once, can't you preach on heaven? I go, there's so little to say about it. You know, because God, for, for whatever reason, he's not talking a lot about it. He says a little bit, but not that much. He just, we just know there is a place called heaven. 
and God is there, and we know some of the descriptions, but not a ton of stuff about it, okay? We don't know what life's gonna be like, but we know it's gonna be a lot better than this. I can make one guarantee, the Bible says this, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, no more dying, no more pain, no more sin. That's pretty nice, inside and out, right? We don't have to struggle anymore, no more temptation. This is pretty good. We know that much. We know some things about it, but not a ton. Now, Abraham's response to God in obedience is really the true nature of what worship is. Worship is a response of a genuine encounter with God. I think the great need of the church is to connect to God in real worship, genuine worship. As a matter of fact, Warren Worsby wrote a book called Real Worship, and it he says, we are weary of business as usual. We need a, and want a transforming experience from the Lord, the kind of spiritual visitation that will help to heal our broken homes, our split churches, that will strip away our religious veneer and get us back to reality. Not playing anymore, that's what he's saying. He says that will restore the true spiritual values and destroy the cheap counterfeits that we've been fostering on ourselves and the lost world. That will most of all bring such glory to God that the world will sit up and take notice and, and confess that God is truly among us. I like that. There's only one thing that's gonna change you and me, worship. That's what changes us. What becomes our focus in life ultimately shapes who we become like. Is that amazing? You see, that's what really worship is all about. You know, it's, it's interesting that this word transformation or transfiguration or change, it's the same Greek word. It's only found three times in the New Testament. It's talking about genuine change. How many are saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? I'm sick and tired of being the same old schmuck, you know what I mean? I, I wanna have some change in my life. I wanna become the person God designed for me to become. I wanna become like that which I truly want to worship, which is God. I mean, if you start worshiping the true God, you'll become like him. You'll become godly. You'll be like God. You know, now these it's interesting how this change comes about. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, I'm gonna give you the three verses and we'll look at one of them. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, another translation says changed, into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what is God doing? He's bringing about transformation or change in our lives. And here's uh, the second idea is simply when Jesus himself was on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says he was changed, right? How many know that? And he, his true nature came out. His divine nature overcame his human nature, and they saw him as he truly was. The Bible says his face was brighter than the noonday sun. It was really a powerful experience. I'm, Peter never got over that experience. He even writes about it in his letter. The third time this word is used is in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse two, and we discover there what worship really is and how it brings about that change in our lives, that transformation. So what is it about worship? You know, I wanna look at four things about the power of worship that changes us. How many are saying, you know what, I want my life to be different than it was. I want my life to change. I wanna grow, I wanna develop. I wanna move forward. I don't wanna just stay the same place as I was before. I wanna move, you know what, how many know if, if that's gonna happen, something's gotta, change in my life. 
I have to kind of cooperate with God. Some of us, our cooperation levels are low. So we're going to move them up to a higher level. How's that in 2024? Let's take a look here. Uh, what needs to happen? These four areas. The first, uh, first thing about the power of worship is the explanation of why do we worship God? Why is it important for us to worship God? What is it about worshiping God that changes us? That's what I want to answer. You know, well, first of all, you, were, you and I were designed to worship. And everyone in this room is a worshiper. Okay, you may not be worshiping God, but you are a worshiper. You're gonna worship something. You're wired that way. And really what worship is, is it's that which we have the deepest affection and longing for. Whatever it is that, that you are interested in receiving, whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you focus in on, whatever it is you're giving yourself toward, in a sense you're worshiping. Now some people, they're worshiping things. And that's why they're materialists. That's why materialism is at such a high level in our society because people are trying to acquire more and more things. Have you ever noticed that, that you know, no matter how many things they have, they never have enough things. They just need more things. It's because that's the nature of worship. You just keep wanting more of what you are pursuing after. Now, we know that worshiping anything other but the true and the living God is called idolatry. It's an idol. And that's a problem. We worship God, first of all, first reason is because who he is. Right? He's worthy to be worshipped. Many people, I think, have a limited view of worship. They think worship is when you come to church. Some people have it narrowed down to when we're singing. That's worship. Okay? That's only a part of worship. That's only a little part of it. I want to broaden your definition of worship so you'll understand it. Uh, it's so much more. Warren Worsby says, when you consider all the words used for worship in both Old and New Testaments, and when you put the meanings together, you find that worship involves attitude, which is like awe, reverence, respect, actions, bowing, praising, serving. Uh, it's both a subjective, something internal and heartfelt experience and an objective activity. We're singing, we're giving, we're serving. You know, giving is, is, a, is an act of worship. Serving, other, serving people because you're serving God. That's worship. Isn't that amazing? Worship is not an unexpressed feeling, nor is it an empty formality. True worship is balanced and involves the mind, the emotions, the will, the total personality. It must be intelligent, it must reach deep within and be motivated by love, and it must lead to obedient actions that glorify God. I would say obedience is worship. Doing what God is asking us to do is worship. Wow. Evelyn Underhill defines worship as the total adoring response of man to the one eternal God, self-revealed in time. So we worship God for who he is. Is God worthy of worship? Well, he's the creator. He is obviously worthy of our affection. He's obviously worthy of our study and our trying to get to know him. You know, what I've discovered, and I have a very inquisitive mind. You may not know that about me, but it's the truth. And I have been exploring God for, you know, almost five decades, and I'm not bored. There's just so much more to find out. Isn't that great? That's, you're, you're, you're going after someone who's inexhaustible. It's unlimited. 
And it's amazing. You, you never arrive. You know when people say, well, I already know all that stuff. I go, no, you don't. You're just telling me that you have no interest in that stuff. You know, we should have a heart after God. We worship God because of what he's done. You know, if we look at this expression in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, um, what we're going to find out is Romans is divided into two parts, the doctrinal, practical. The doctrinal side, the teaching side, the explanation side of our salvation. Actually, Romans is probably the most systematic book explaining what it means to become a follower of Jesus. It explains our salvation very systematically. He goes in and describes all the things that are happening, but when he gets to chapter 12, he's shifting. He's making a shift to say, in light of, because of, all the things that God has done for us, this is what we should do now. This is our response. And by the way, our response to what God does for us is what worship is, okay? Now, let's take a look. It says here, Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore, now every time you see the word therefore, this is a signal. It means you gotta look what just been said. You have to look it back there and say, what did, what, therefore, because of, you can say because of, or therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So Paul has been explaining God's mercies, chapters one through 11. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So what is God expecting from us? What is true worship according to Romans 12.1? I need to offer my body as a living sacrifice. My body means I'm offering what? Myself. I'm offering my mind. I'm offering my emotions. I'm offering my will. I'm offering my energy. I'm offering my time. I'm offering everything about me. That's worship. You cannot serve God and say, oh, I'm gonna give God 10% and I'm worshiping God. God goes, no, no, that's not worship. You know? No, no, God is expecting 100% of our lives. That's true worship. He expects all of you, not part of you. Well, when I got time for God, I, I slot him in. Well, that's how a lot of Christians live. I, I got, you know, I put... God's an addendum to my life. He's just an add-on. You know, I pull him in when I need him kind of a thing. Oh, I got a problem, I'll pull him in, you know. Oh, I need a little advice, I'll pull him in kind of a thing. No, 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 that's not worship, folks. No, God is the one who I start my day saying, what are we doing today, Father? It's not what I want, it's what you want. What's your will? I'm here to bring honor to you. It's not about bringing honor to myself. It's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And by the way, when we begin to make that huge, this is a huge paradigm shift for most people. But when you make that shift, what you're gonna discover is actually God's will for you is what's gonna make you happy. You should write that down. God's will for my life will make me happy. And the problem is why many of us are unhappy is because we're trying to do our will and talk God into doing our thing. And he doesn't feel any compulsion to do it. And then we go, well, God's not answering my prayers. I'm going, maybe he doesn't want you to do that. You know, he's got an agenda. What is it? Let's find out. Because we're gonna find out when we truly worship God, we're gonna find out what God's will is. I love that. 
So this chapter is making this transition. So what are some of the mercies? Let's take a look. We're made righteous in God's eyes. Do you know through Christ's death, we now have a right standing when we receive Jesus before the Father? And what that really means is we're now allowed into the presence of God. Because if you study the Old Testament, you know, there's a t- the whole Old Testament's teaching you the inaccessibility of God. God's holy. We're unholy. Can't come into his presence. We'd die. You know, Paul says it this way in Romans, but now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, the Old Testament is pointing towards something. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the whole Old Testament is one teaching us that God is holy, that we're lawbreakers, and we need Christ. We need a savior. That's the whole lesson, very powerful. Now, when we receive Jesus, the Bible says we have a new and a living way of access into the presence of God. Do you know in the Old Testament, you could only be in God's presence, one person, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, one person. Do you know what happened when Jesus died on the cross? No, the Bible says something very profound. It says there was a curtain in the temple between the holy place and the most holy place. The curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And Hebrews says to make a new and a living way so that you and I have access into God's presence. Now, you and I, in a sense, are like high priests every single day of our lives. And every day is the day of atonement. And every day you and I can walk into his presence. Does anybody go, wow. Is that amazing? How many that's a mercy? That you have an access. You have a relationship with God. Jesus says, now you can say, our father. He's not only Jesus' father, he's our father. Romans says, we can say, Abba. means daddy. We have intimacy with God. This is profound. This is a mercy that you and I have access to God. And the Bible says that faith in Christ creates a clean heart, a pure heart. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Nobody with an impure heart is ever gonna see God. You and I have to have a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's the psalmist's prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If I regard inequity in my heart, God will not hear my prayer. If I regard sin, if I make sin the the object of my intention, God's not paying attention. But see, God has done something in our life. That's a mercy that God's changed us. He's brought us into a relationship. But it also suggests that some people will be excluded from God's presence. You know, I think we forget that. Uh, We're not living in a static position. You know, I think a lot of people say, yeah, I made that prayer 30 years ago. Bless God, I was a Christian. and, And that's it, it's static. I want you to know that the Bible says it's the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. You know there's battles in this Christian life? And I've, I've been a pastor long enough to see people come and people go. People serving God for a season dropping out. Anybody notice that? How many have noticed that? It's sad. But you know what? That's truth. That's reality. We need to understand that. I was reading this morning in my devotional time in the book of Revelation. We're all going to stand before God one day. Do you know we're all going to be judged? And God's gonna judge the deeds done in our bodies. Yeah, but I believed in you, Jesus. Yeah, but did you do what I said? Well, no, I kinda didn't. 
Now, I'm, I'm looking at your actions, not your words. And I think sometimes in North America, we think if I make the right confession of faith I'm in, that doesn't matter what I do. Forget that nonsense. Jesus is looking. If you really believe in me, you're going to do what I say. Remember I said obedience is what? It's worship. And if we're not be obeying God, we're not worshiping. And that's the, that's the acid test. We need to understand that. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm getting confused, Pastor. I thought we're not saved by works. Well, no, you and I can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good things to be saved. But we need to trust Jesus in order to be saved. But out of that salvation should come a change in our lives. And we become worshipers. And we begin to obey God. We begin to do what God asks us to do. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, man, I want to know Jesus. I want to have a right relationship with God because look at what it says here in Revelation. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. What do you mean second death? It means that you'll be eternally separated from God. The first death is really a physical and spiritual separation, but the second death is eternal separation. But through Jesus, God's mercies have been revealed in Christ. We've been forgiven, cleansed, put into a right relationship with God and declared righteous. But what is even more incredible is we've been justified and now have peace with God. What does that mean? He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, sin causes a barrier in our relationship to God, but this barrier now has been addressed. Our sins have been taken away by Jesus, the sin bearer. The legal idea here is that our sins have been removed from our legal account. The idea of justification is just as if we'd never sinned. We were absolutely forgiven. The ledger has been wiped clean. People can bring up our past. Satan will hold it against us, but God never will. You see, God's forgiveness is complete. Listen to what Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. We've been given a new identity and a power to live a new life. This life comes through God's spirit that's now living within us. And that's what he says in Romans. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again, but rather the spirit who brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's in the power of this relationship that we are changed and are able to live a new life. That's why he says in Romans 6, we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live what? A new life. Not an old life, not the same life, a new life. So the foundation or basis of worship then is our relationship that we have with God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe we'll just pause for a moment. I'll ask the question. Is that you today? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation? That he is your sin bearer. He died on the cross for you. You want to turn away from the old life and have a brand new life, a new start. This is the, this is the offer God is making with us. Paul says when he's writing to the Corinthian church, he says, I'm standing in Christ's place. He's saying, be reconciled to God. That's what I'm doing today. I'm asking you, would you like to be reconciled to God? Would you like your sins to be forgiven? Would you like to have your legal ledger of sin that's being held against you totally 
wiped clean and God never hold it against you. How many think that's amazing? That's justification. It's just as if you'd never sinned. That's beautiful. Maybe you're here right now. Here's what I'm gonna tell you to do. I want you to pray right now and say, God, I'm so sorry I've sinned against you. And I wanna receive your free gift of Jesus. I wanna receive you, Jesus. Would you come into my life right now? You know what he's gonna do if you pray that prayer? He's gonna come in. And if you make that your prayer before you leave today, write on that Connect card, I gave my life to Jesus today. You know why, why that's important? We're gonna, we're gonna contact you and give you material to help you grow in your Christian life. We're gonna help you develop in this walk. It's a new beginning. It's a new life. But let me move on here. It says uh, in Galatians, the person who lives in a right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. See, God did something for you. Now, because of that, you're gonna start doing things that God prepared in advance for you to do. That's called good works. You don't do them to become a Christian. You do them because you are a Christian. It's the result of. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. But then God gives us this new life. It's a beautiful life. And you and I can now have this empowering spirit to help us live this new life. But let me move on to the second thing about the power of worship. It's the extent of true worship. I think we have a lot of misconceptions of it. Many people believe, as I said, that the extent of worship is when we come here. No, it's more than that. <clears throat> we may, even coming here, maybe or may not be worshiping. It depends on our heart. That's interesting too. It's not about form, it's about what's transpiring within us. Here in our text, it tells us that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. I've already read the text in Romans 12, one and two. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. How many think God has an expectation? Anybody notice God has an expectation? He says, this is what I did for you. This is what I want you to do now in response. I want you to give yourself wholly to me, fully to me. And I'm gonna bring about a change inside of you. That's where the change happens. We're gonna now let God begin to change us. This is important. You know, we voluntarily give ourselves to God. John MacArthur shared how a woman came to him after he had spoken at a conference and said, I just can't seem to live the Christian life the way I should. I'm frustrated. I don't have spiritual victory or any sense of accomplishment. I struggle with the simplest forms of obedience and I'm constantly defeated. Well, she's just explaining I'm a defeated person. When she was asked what she had tried to do to solve the problem, she said, well, I've tried everything. You know, like prayed and these kinds of things. <clears throat> and she, then she said, but then as she related, you know, I've tried to get everything from him I can, but I'm still not satisfied. I'm still miserable and I want more. To which MacArthur answered her, I think you've put your finger on the problem. The key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not in trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to God. How many see the difference? See, one is, here's what I wanna get. He said, no, that's the problem. It's what you need to give. See, you and I have as much from God as we want. This is a very shocking statement. A lot of people, oh, I want so much more of God, but I can't seem to get it. I'm saying the problem isn't with God. He wants to give it. The problem is, is you're withholding. 
See, the more you give of yourself, the more of God you get. How's that? It's the opposite of what we think. We gotta surrender, we gotta give. We gotta say, okay, here am I, God. I'm giving myself to you. Now, the offering of ourselves is described as true and proper worship. To withhold ourselves from God is not only unwise, it's unloving. Again, let me quote MacArthur. He says, there can be no sanctification, which means becoming like Christ, no holy living apart from our bodies. So that's why it's important that we give our bodies to God. It says here in Thessalonians, may the God of peace himself sanctify or set you apart or make you holy entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying there? He's saying you gotta give your full self to God. That's what he's saying and God will take care of you. How many realize that sin is illogical and irrational behavior? I think sin is a form of insanity. You say, why do you say that? Because I don't think any sane person would do anything to destroy themselves and others. But when we sin, that's exactly what we're doing. Okay? So if you want to, you know, that's my definition of insanity. It's equated to sin. And we're all a little bit in that direction, but some people are a lot more than others. I'm going to say that's true. Some people fully give themselves to sin. But it's illogical and irrational behavior because it's destructive. It's self-destructive and it destroys other people. It always will do that. But how many know that if we give ourselves wholly to God in response to his holy giving of himself to us, you know what's going to happen? It's the opposite. We're going to become rational, sane. We're going to be a blessing rather than a destructive person. We're gonna bring wholeness into our families and into our own minds and lives. It's the very opposite. Let me move to the third thing we discover is the evidence of true worship. <clears throat> worship is described both positively and negatively. Now, first of all, let's look at it, the negative of it. It says, we are not to conform to the ungodly values of our society. In other words, this, this translation uh, is, is talking about not being conformed you know, to the schemes of this world. The, the word world <clears throat> is better translated age. Do you know we're living in an evil age? How many know we're living in an evil age? Yeah. Folks, we've always lived in an evil age. Okay? So, you know, everyone goes, oh, it's so evil out there. I'm going, well, it's always been evil. You see... We're living in an evil age, but there's coming a new age. And the new age is when Jesus comes back. There'll be no more sin. That's a new age. It'll no longer be the evil age. So why are we surprised by all the evil in our world today and the way people talk and the values of our society? And it, you know, I've been, a, I've been alive nearly seven decades and I'm saying to myself, it just seems to be getting crazier. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? It just seems to be getting nuttier, fruitier, crazier, zanier. It's totally illogical. It's irrational. You can't even relate. You can't even talk. If you even try to straighten somebody out, they're, they, they're all offended. They're bent out of shape. They're so broken. They're so, you know, you know forgiveness. What's that? That's, that's, a, that's a concept that doesn't even exist anymore. Everybody's standing up for their rights. Everybody's offended. There's no forgiveness. Nobody puts up with anything. Come on. That's the way it is. That's an evil age. That's how people think. That's part of the values of this culture. 
You know, it's influenced by demonic forces. There's no question in my mind of the evil that's occurring in our world because things like education alone can't fix it. And I want to just say this, the economy can't fix it. Money can't solve all the problems. So all of you that are saying, well, we just got to get the right people in and power, and yeah, they all talk about money, economy. It's all, hey, listen, the problem is spiritual, folks. You got to change things from the inside out. Everyone's trying to change things from the outside in. It doesn't work. It doesn't stick, right? It's a spiritual problem. You know, one of the reasons why we're conformed to this world is we're afraid of what people will say or think of us. You know, it's really beautiful as you get older. You go, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm secure. I've journeyed with God long enough to know that I care about one person's opinion. It's God's. What does he think? You know? Listen, I've been a pastor so long, I've been told by all kinds of Christians all kinds of stuff over the years. They've been straightening me out for over four decades. <laughs> I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. You know? But everybody has an opinion. But there's only one opinion that counts for me. It's in the word of God. This opinion counts. Right? We got to know what he says. You know, Jesus prayed that we will not stumble at the fact that we're going to be rejected by culture. Listen to what he says. I've given them your word, it's a key word, and the world has hated them. Does people, do people hate you? Yeah, yeah, probably should. There's going to be some people who hate you. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. They actually crucified Jesus. If I'm going to become more like him, it's going to threaten some people. I can't be shocked by that. Not only is worship expressed by resisting the values and rebellion against God, but worship is something we embrace. You know, let's look at verse two here. It says here, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We will no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world will no longer be conformed to this present evil age. It's value, shaped by demonic forces. Why would I want to be in step with that? I'm out of step with that, by the way. You say, well, you're getting old, Pastor. That's the problem. I go, that's not the problem. I want to be in step with God. He's out of step with that. That's where we want to go. We have to become transformed by the renewing of our minds. Here's the positive side of worship. The negative side is, I'm not gonna let what society says define who I'm gonna be. I'm gonna listen to what God has to say and allow my mind to be transformed by its renewing. It says the real battle in life is being fought in our minds. Did you know that? Here's where the battle's going on. The battlefield for the soul is in our minds. That's why Paul, writing to the Philippians, encourages us to nurture our minds. Listen to what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are we supposed to do? Think about such things. Most of what the society is saying is neither true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable excellent or praiseworthy. I didn't say all, but most. How many say that's probably true? And you know what's happening? We allow what society says to affect our thinking. I'm going, yeah, but if it's not true, why worry about it? 
If it's not pure or noble or right, who cares? Amen? See, I think we got to start saying, what are we feeding our minds? That's the question. What are we feeding our minds? How many know what you feed your bodies affects your body? Has anybody figured that out yet? How many have figured that out? Especially over Christmas. This ought to be hitting home, right? I, you know, we probably all ate things, and, and I think once in a blue moon, it's fine to do, you know. It's Christmas time. We all ate probably more than we should have, or we ate probably stuff we shouldn't have, you know. But we did it. But if we did that year-round, if we ate like we did this last week, <laughs> some of us would be real sick, physically. Come on, let's be honest, right? But you know what? When it comes to our minds, we have no filters. It's just like, well, I can handle this. Well, I can handle that. Whatever you're feeding your body affects your body. Whatever you feed your mind affects your mind. Now, I've got to stop and pause and ask the question. How much time do I spend in God's word? Isn't that a great question? Well, I hear it preached once a week, Pastor, or every other week when I come, or how often I come. Listen. That means that you're feeding your mind on what society is saying 24-7 and you have no other recourse. You have nothing to filter all the garbage that's coming at you. How many know we need a filter? How many know you gotta have a lens that looks at life differently than the way society is? Somebody is controlling your minds. For most of us, it's media, television, movies. I can just go down literature. I can just go down the track and say, this is what's controlling you and you don't even know it. So you have to make a decision. You got to say, you know, it was like, you know, years ago, this rocker, you know, uh, got saved. I'm trying to think of uh, his name, but it doesn't matter. They said, well, you know, don't you think that because you're a Christian now and you're reading the Bible, you're getting brainwashed? He said, yeah, I know. And my mind was a sick and dirty old mind. It needed to be rubbed out and scrubbed out and cleansed and all the rest of it. You know, we need a work to go on in our minds. We need to begin to see life the way the creator sees it and how God's purposes are being developed. And all of a sudden, it changes what's going on in our lives. You know, John, John MacArthur says, it's in the mind that our new nature and our old humanness are intermixed. It's in the mind that we make choices as to whether we'll express our new nature and holiness or allow our fleshly humanness to act in unholiness. So what's the best way to renew our minds? Well, we got to engage God in his word. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that what? I might not sin against you. I need to know what God's standard is. The world's standard is, there isn't a standard. Today you can do anything you want and it's okay, according to society. God says, no, it doesn't work that way. Everything you do is going to affect you. It's going to have a negative impact on you if it's wrong. And you know, I go, no, there's no such things as absolute right and absolute wrong, Pastor. Well, that's, you know, that's what the devil would like you to believe, folks. There is an absolute. God has authority. He created this world. He created it for his purposes. And when you and I deviate from that, we suffer. And I see a lot of suffering people today. That's what I see. I see broken relationships. You know, we have a lot of struggles in our minds. Come on, let's be honest. You know, today we're telling everybody it's okay to be messed up. Come on, we are saying it's normal to be messed up. Well, I'm saying we shouldn't be judging people because they're messed up. I agree with that, but I don't think we leave people in a broken condition. I don't think that's a loving thing to do. 
Hey, if, if you are suffering and nobody helps you, you'd say that's a very unloving thing to do. God says, I want to heal you. I don't want to just heal your bodies. I want to heal your minds. I believe that. You know, where did Paul come up with this idea of, you know, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We go, well, yeah, well, he was inspired of the Holy Spirit, Pastor. I go, well, yeah, he was. But you know what? He was so full of the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit just quickened things and he just framed it a little differently. Let me take you back to Psalm 1. Listen to what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sits in the company of mockers. Doesn't that sound like don't be conformed to this age, the way people think? Look at the next verse. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Isn't that rather the way we get transformed by the renewing of our mind? Can I just tell you what's going to happen? Let me give you a little journey through the spiritual life. You know, you first start out, you become a Christian, you maybe read the Bible once in a while, you don't know what you're doing, you don't understand it. That's how it starts, right? You read a little more, you take some classes, maybe you, you know, get discipled. I'm just giving you a pattern. Eventually you start, the big change in everyone's life is when we start becoming a daily Bible reader. And they've done surveys on this. This is amazing to me. They say only 10% of people who profess to be Christians are daily Bible readers. I gotta ask you the question, are you a daily Bible reader? You see, when you make that decision, something changes in your life because now you're beginning to spend time with God because this, you see, now you're saying to God, oh, I'm serious about this. I'm giving you my body, my time, my energy. I'm starting to spend time with you. I'm looking at what you're saying. You're communicating to me because your word is your message to me and I'm reading it and all of a sudden I start thinking differently. It starts changing my appetite because let's face it, if I eat junk food all the time, my body's gonna crave junk food. But when I decide to change my diet and I change to healthy food and I start eating only healthy food, when I go back to eating junk food, your body will say, what are you doing? I feel sick. It feels unnatural now. My body's functioning at a different level. It's the same way spiritually. When you start feeding your mind the word of God daily, all of a sudden you're going, this stuff is junk. Why would I even spend time there? I have no desire for it. it, it, it it's actually obnoxious to me now. I can't believe that I once was a, eating that diet of that junk over there. Now I'm in the word of God and it's changing me. I can sense it. And by the way, what's fascinating about all of this is now they've done medical studies and research on the brain. So this past, I'm, I've been listening to a course on the spiritual brain by Dr. Uh, Andrew Newberg. And here's, they're actually doing MRIs and blood tests to see the effects that have on people who pray and actually practice the spiritual disciplines. Let me give you a quote. It says, several studies have compared those who meditate and pray as part of their spiritual traditions to people who do not meditate and pray. And here's just a few of the interesting findings. Several MRI studies have shown that brains of long-term practitioners are thicker than the brains of non-practitioners. Yeah, I know, you guys are all thick, but no. <laughs> But what he's saying is it actually has a physiological impact on the forelobe of your brain. That's amazing. Okay, listen to this. They have more activity in the frontal lobe and also see changes to the central structure of the brain called the thalamus, which controls sensory information, cognitive, and consciousness. 
This is all about decision-making, folks. This is where our brains are actually working, and he's, what he's saying is people who are prayers and meditators on God's word all of a sudden have physiological impact on your brain. Is this amazing? Let me think this is interesting. It basically, it's essential for our experience and understanding of reality. Then he goes on to say one of the fascinating things that happens when people are meditating and praying is that the brain begins to release chemicals called dopamine and serotonin. Now, if you know anything about the brain, and if you've ever had you know, depression issues, you know that what's happening is they're concerned about your dopamine levels and you have low levels of serotonin and those little neurotransmitters are not functioning quite correctly, and so they give you chemicals to help trigger and get the brain to actually release dopamine and release uh, uh, serotonin in your brain. And I'm telling you that if you and I just would do what God's word says, it's a natural way of experiencing these chemical responses so that physiologically you're being affected. Mm. Is that interesting? This is research. Actually, this guy's a scientist and he's a medical doctor and he goes, maybe we need to take a new look at how to help people get healthier. Because we're starting to see that maybe spiritual things impact people in a positive way. Going, no kidding. You know? It's like, you know, the scientists are trying to figure it out, you know, where the world all came from. When they finally climb the mountain, what they find sitting on the top of the mountain is a bunch of theologians going, we're already here. We knew God created the world. What are you talking about, you know? It's true. This helps us have healthier emotional and physical lives. I think that's powerful. Let me give you to the last thing here. The effects of worship. Ultimately, worship causes us to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. We're able to discern and do God's will. Worship is not about form or function as as much as it's an attitude of our hearts and the actions of our lives. Notice I added actions because, you know, a lot of us, We're fooling ourselves. We think we do what we believe, but in reality, that's not practice. How many have ever faked yourself out thinking you were doing something just because you believed it, but you weren't even acting on it? You know what I've discovered? It's harder to do things than it is to say things. Okay? Try doing. It's, you know, a lot of people complain about a lot of things, you know, about the other people. Why don't you do this or do it? Try doing it yourself. Tell me how easy it is. And maybe you'll be more compassionate, more understanding, you know, less critical. Just throwing words out, but I think those are powerful words. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, you know, I've already said this. What causes life change? When we start worshiping God, we become what we worship. We become like him. It's powerful. You know, it's out of this life separated to God that the holy life or a proper estimate of who we really are begins to develop. Look at verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So what is he talking about here? Well, be humble, but not self-negating. 
See, some people think humility is putting yourself down. I go, no, that's not it. You know what humility is? Humility is a life of dependency on God. I'm depending on God. I recognize I can't do it apart from him. See, then you read down the next few verses here, and I'm going to close with this. Verses 3 to 8. I'll say this part. Only those who are holy and humble can live a healthy life. Because what I'm basically saying is healthy and holy are the same thing. I'm not just talking about physical health here. I'm talking about emotional, mental, spiritual, and relational health as well. How many go, I'd like to have all those things going on in my life. I want to be healthy physically. I want to be healthy emotionally. I want to be healthy mentally. I want to be healthy spiritually. I want to be healthy relationally. Anybody up for that? Here you go. I'm giving you guys the keys right now. You got the key? I'm giving you the car. Here's the keys. You know? Are you going to do anything with it? Well, I'd really like to look at that car, Pastor. I'll just look at it. That's what a lot of people do in the Christian life. I'm just looking at it. No, here's the keys. Get in there. Start going. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to ding it up. You probably will ding it up a time or two, but you still got to do it. But look what happens when we start living like this. It, you know, this healthy life is a life of love. Let, let, let's just read down a few verses here real quick. Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. What's he describing? He's describing love in action. He's describing what the Christian life is really all about. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't this practical? So what am I trying to get us to understand today? He's challenging us to worship God. How many say, I want to be a worshiper? I'm saying you already are one. What are you worshiping? That's the real question. Are you worshiping God? How do you worship God with your whole body? How do I do that? Every day. I got to make time for God. I have, this is what it's all about. You know, you start your day. You know, so many people go, well, I do my, my devotional time later in the evening. For most people, if you're like me, I'm, I'm gone. I just can't do that. That's not going to happen. But maybe you're an evening person. I give you credit if you are. Yeah, go ahead and do it then. But for me, I'm a morning person. I got to get up. First thing I want to do is spend time with God. You know, well, actually, I go downstairs and exercise, but when I'm doing it, I'm praying. And then I'm listening to lectures, and then after I shower, I spend time reading the Word. I have a whole habit, you know. I'm very habitual. But you have to be like that. Spend time with God, you know. Go to, go to sleep at night. I'm, I'm thinking about the Word of God. I'm meditating on Scripture. I wake up in the morning. I'm meditating on Scripture. Why? My mind is just rolling in this stuff. And you know what it does? It brings encouragement, you know. I'm encouraged. And anybody that knows me very well, you go, you know, Pastor, you always just seem to be even keeled, right? Not up, not down. I said to Patty, you know, when I was a brand new Christian, I was really high, really low. Now I'm more even keeled. I just have a confidence in God. Where does that come from? His word. You know, when you are filling your mind every single day with God's word, you're going to say and do things that you go, did I do that? You're going to be surprising yourself. God's going to give you wisdom. You're going to be able to handle situations. You go, I don't even know where that came from. It came because you were feeding your mind the word of God. You were feeding your mind the nature of God. You were feeding yourself with stuff that all of a sudden eventually starts leaking out of you at the right and appropriate moment. Isn't that beautiful? How many think that's neat? 
You know, so many of us, we're just, we're, we're in crisis management mode. You know, we go from crisis to crisis. We're always in a crisis. We don't know what to do. I'm going because you're feeding yourself the wrong information. If you start feeding yourself the word of God daily, all of a sudden, you're gonna start doing good things, the right things, and you won't even realize you're doing it because it's become so natural. You become a different person. That's how change comes about. Let's stand. So, now, I've already talked to the people who are non-believers to give their life to Jesus. Now I'm talking to believers. Now, I'm not here to embarrass you, but some of you in this room are going, you know what, I have to honestly confess I'm not a daily Bible reader. I'm so tempted to make you close your eyes and raise your hands, because I would love to know what percentage of our church actually reads the Bible daily. It's really intriguing, because I know what the national statistics are, 10%. That's shocking to me. But that just tells me the 90%, the rest of the people that are not doing it, where are they getting their thinking from? Where is their mind at? The society, that present evil age is shaping their brains. They're feeding on that stuff. Then we walk around and you know, we're demanding our rights and we're not even behaving like Christians. Oh, we're saying we're a Christian, but we're not acting like one. You know, it's like the guy I met in uh, Jamaica, you know. He tells me he's a Christian, but he's selling dope. <laughs> Could you imagine how that went over with me? He's accosting me to sell me dope, and he tells me, he's, I said, I've got something better than that. He said, what do you have? I said, I got Jesus. He said, well, I'm a Christian. I said, well, you're not acting like one. Came right out of my mouth that fast. So then he says, well, you know, we're pretty poor down here, and this is how we got to make a living. I said, no, what you're telling me is you're not trusting God, and you're growing other things instead of the f- food that would help people. You're diminishing people instead of enriching them. You're not trusting God at all. That kind of shook this guy up. I'm gonna hear that. I said, you know what? I said, maybe God sent me down here from Canada to tell you, you need to get right with him. How's that? Just comes out of my mouth, just like that. How come it comes that fast, Pastor? My mind is loaded. I have no idea when God's gonna hit a button, what's gonna come out. Oh, it, was, it got better. I prayed for him on the street. I could see other people wanting to talk to me, but they all had negative things to you know, sell me on. Once I was praying with him on the street, all of them slinked away. <laughs> they go, he's gonna pray with us. And we don't want that right now because we're not doing what we should be doing. And maybe you're here today say, I feel a little bad that I don't pray and read the word of God. I'm begging you as your pastor, would you consider becoming a daily Bible reader? Join us in doing this. And I guarantee, I'm gonna make you a guarantee. If you will do this for an entire year, you'll go, the best year of my life. I can't believe how much it's changed me. My whole mind is doing better. My relationships are getting better. Even the problems I'm having, I'm handling better. It will change you, I guarantee it. This is a guarantee. How can you do this? I've got God's backing behind me. He's making the guarantee. All right? I'm just pitching for God today. God says, if you'll spend time with me, that's what real worship is, it's gonna change you. So with every head bowed right now, somebody say, you know what? I wanna make a commitment, Pastor. I wanna do, by the, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, by God's enabling help, 
I want to spend every day in God's presence, reading his word and praying. That's you today. You're going to raise your hand. Come on, let's raise our hands. That's you. I'm going to make that commitment. Some of you are already doing it. It's not, it's not going to change your lifestyle, but for a lot of us, this is a big change coming your way. You want a different year? This is the answer. So Father, I thank you this, today that you are going to put it in people's hearts and minds to do this. Not to feel guilty if they miss a day, but Lord, to really apply themselves to spend time worshiping you and putting you at the front of their lives instead of an addition right at the center. And Lord, I just pray that you're gonna bless uh, our lives in 2024 in ways we cannot believe. We're gonna walk in obedience instead of disobedience. We're gonna become true worshipers. We're gonna become like that which we're worshiping and what we're gonna worship this year coming is you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.